0: Aere my, welcome to Alive Tonight, a podcast about the performing arts, creatives, breathing nightlife into the coolest little capital in the world, te whanganui a tara, Wellington. Ko Emily Hope tōku and in this episode we are talking to Jerome chandra Hassan. Jerome chandra Hassan is a regular performer in the New Zealand Comedy Festival, the New Zealand Comedy Circuit, and has emceed various events around the country. He has taken his solo shows to the Edinburgh Fringe, the New Zealand Fringe, Nelson Fringe, and a nice little pub in Kapiti. Every Monday you can find him at the Fringe Bar running Raw Meat Monday, Wellington's longest-running stand-up comedy gig. Co-founder of Humorous Arts, a charitable trust dedicated to comedy in the capital, he has produced the Wellington heats of the Raw Comedy Quest for the past 10 years and runs shows throughout the year at San Fran, Fringe Bar, Kevin Club and other venues around the Wellington region. In the pre-show notes today, I would like to apologise to Phineas Tippet. We got your name wrong, so we called you Finn, sorry Phineas. We also talk about hamsters legal standing in New Zealand, just briefly. So to clarify, hamsters are not allowed in New Zealand, there is no import health standard for the importation of hamsters, a risk analysis would have to be performed first. The way it works is that an import health standard for a specific product, animals etc must exist in order for something to be allowed to come in. This is done instead of specifically banning specific products, animals, etc. I would like to thank Edwin Ariola from MPI for clearing that up for us. So, now that we have that cleared up, let's start with some awkward hellos. Hello! We just, we just launched into it. Hi! Thank Thanks for coming. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you in person. Awesome. I start off by doing a fun little game, um, which is doing 30-second recap of your life. Okay, you you're up for it. I can do it. Yeah, right. We'll
1: see. I'm very bad at very bad at running over time. So oh well, I if... show you okay, the, the little so you have the, the to little me thing. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, okay,
0: sweet. All right, you ready? Yeah. I'll count okay, you in. Three, two, one, go.
1: Hello. So grew up in the in the hut. I um, really got into performing when we started doing like debating at high school with a, with a friend of mine, James Nkisi, he has gone on to become a very successful comedian. Uh, and then went to university, got involved in the and Comedy Club started running gigs started performing started producing gigs so there was more stage time for everybody and you just got a little bit carried away with that so I set up the humorous arts trusted charitable trust dedicated to stand-up comedy and capital 10 years ago to 10, ten last month and uh, it's been going
0: okay time <laughs> yep nice um yeah so you're wellingtonian pretty yeah
1: through yeah, and through yeah just, yeah just grew up in the heart and then just went to university at vic What did you study? uh, I did, um, first I was doing, um, I was doing uh, first year papers to get into engineering, but then uh, I just wasn't enjoying it, so I did a lot of maths and physics and chemistry, um, and then uh, then September 11 happened, and so then I took a paper over the summer on on world politics and ended up doing a BA in politics as well as a science Um, degree in maths, and then I picked up uh, another major in linguistics. It was a lot of fun. Yep. Um, so really, yeah. So I actually really enjoyed linguistics, and I wish I'd, I wish I'd carried it on, because it was just, it was enjoyable. It had elements of maths, and it had elements of just talking to people, yeah. and a lot of what you're doing, like, right now, like, interviewing people as well, right. uh, analyzing language, um, that sort of stuff was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I did, I got three quarters of the way through an honours degree in linguistics. I had, like, one more paper left. Ah, uh, but then I just, the comedy just got too busy. Mm-hmm. And so, so I left it. Yeah. Right. Okay.
0: Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I also did a linguistics paper. I did Linguistics 101. Oh, yeah. I was like, ooh, I'm going to do theatre and linguistics. Yeah, yeah. And then I got in there and I realized how science based linguistics was. And I was yeah. like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah <laughs> there definitely
1: parts of it that are, uh, especially when you have yeah, the syntax and the. Oh, like, were you at Vic? Yeah. Right. So did you have, like, Paul uh, Warren?
0: I can't even remember. Can't
1: remember. Okay, okay, yeah, but he was like, his his PhD was analyzing like silences, like he was measuring like the gaps between people's words and how long it took them to pause and what their brain was doing in those pauses and how they were finding the next the next word and all mm-hmm. that sort of uh, the brain chemistry side of things. Yeah, really intense. Yeah, and a friend of mine who got into um, speech language therapy. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, as yeah. well, and so that's heavily tied in with, with linguistics. So she was studying um, aphasia. Uh, that's where you might have a, um, a brain injury, and you mm-hmm. lose—you know what you want to say, but you lose access to the words. Right. So you can't connect. Um, yeah, you can't connect your mouth with with, with what with the words that, that you want to say, even though you, you, the words are in your brain somewhere. Mm. You've lost the ability to connect them. Right. Uh, so yeah, that was that was really fascinating. I, I remember her because uh, we were doing these custom service workshops up in Auckland, and I was staying I was staying at a at, a, at the foot with my boyfriend. And I had lost my voice while I was doing these customer service workshops on communication. So, like, I was uh, telling her, like, the, the irony of, of being unable to communicate with somebody yeah. when you're doing a customer or a workshop about communication. And I went back to her and I said, "Oh, you can't believe how frustrating it is to know what you want to say but not be able to say it." Yeah. And I was saying it. So, the only person in New Zealand who was doing a PhD on aphasia, she was the most able to understand. <laughs> that. So
0: it was the ultimate.
1: Irony, <laughs> communicating.
0: Yeah. Did you go to university to, um, like knowing what you wanted to do out of it? Like, no,
1: no. I just, I just finished high school and that was just what you did, and so just, just went to, just went to vic Had it had a vague idea like, oh, someone said engineering might be interesting, but I, I wasn't really that passionate about it. So I did. So yeah, I was just doing the science papers in the in the first year, but um, I guess I was quite fortunate because a lot of my friends had to have part-time jobs while they mm, were studying. Mm. I didn't have to do that because when I was growing up I had a paper run like um, circulars, doing mm-hmm. circulars from the age of 7 to the age of about 20, 21 so that it for uh, way longer than you were supposed to do it like, like, <laughs> so I did that gig for like 13 years um, and you know when you're 7, 8, 9, ten, you don't have any expenses so I was just making yeah. all that money so, I up to university. And I had so, you to... weren't
0: spending it on lollies and you weren't spending well, it no, on. No,
1: because it would just go into the bank. And in order, back in those days, you didn't have FBOS cards. In order to get money out of the bank, you had to go in with your little passbook yeah. and hand it to the teller. And they would stamp it and you had to write out with a draw. It's like too much hassle. Yeah. And um, so, I just sort of slowly accumulated. So, I went into university and I was like, oh, I don't need to work part time. I, was... I had enough money. I was fine. Wow. Um, so, that freed up. Like a lot of my time mm. as well. So, you could spend afternoons just chatting in the bar or having a coffee with mates or getting involved in, or like I got involved in the debating club at university um, for a couple of years and met some interesting people through that. Uh, and then you get, a, and you, meet, you know, other actors and you meet people who are doing comedy. Mm. And uh, so, I think that having that time available meant I was able to um get involved in those different activities which hmm. which ended up becoming a career by
0: accident. Right. Yeah. Do you think your creative journey started when you were able to have those conversations in free time? Or was there like little like when you look back in your childhood where you're like, Oh no, I see how I fell into comedy. So yeah,
1: in college the they, they had we I went to Saint Bernard's in the hut and so there was no like theatre Class, it was a very small school, mm. but they did have um, debating. They had um, there's something called the O'Shea Shield competition, which is a really big speech. Yes.
0: competition. They still do that. In there. Yeah, 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 still going. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, were you
1: involved in it, or were you, you knew I, people who were involved? I think in I yeah.
0: knew people who were yeah, yeah. Mm. who were involved. And so that was like
1: a, like a big annual competition amongst a whole bunch of um, Catholic schools in the that was like the lower North Island. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of became a part of the debating team in fourth form, mm-hmm. and and you get used to standing up and speaking in front of an audience you get used to taking a topic and making logical links and developing an argument presenting a case and speaking reasonably fluently and confidently Mm. and so i wasn't aware those are the skills that i was developing i was just doing it because we were told that we had to do something Mm -hmm. and uh, you do that uh year after year and you accumulate all that sort of experience so when i did end up doing comedy I wasn't going up there blind, I was going up there having, you know, previously been pretty comfortable speaking in front of small groups. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um,
0: So do you think that structure of, like, presenting an argument, is that similar to how you present a joke? I think
1: so. Like, things have to make sense. Uh, like Like a joke or a story, there has to be a reason why you're telling somebody something or why you've included a fact or why you've placed it in a certain location, or why there are other people involved in the story. Like, everything is there needs to be very sort of logical. There needs to be sort of a pattern to it. Mm. And what you want to do is give the audience an opportunity to make the connection themselves. So you give them just enough information, and they make that connection themselves to the punchline. Or, Or the understanding comes at the very end. Everything all resolves itself in a nice conclusion, which if things are going well, there's a punchline which results in a, in a laugh which is the expected response that you want from an audience mm-hmm. so it's all very logical it's all very pattern based yeah um yeah some people like to go back and come up with structures and say, oh you know the rule of three or mm-hmm. the pull back and reveal no nah, i prefer to just just do the story find the joke and then you can find the patterns in it afterwards but you should be doing it naturally or um like a joke should a joke should sound like you are just telling it at the dining room table.
0: You, mm-hmm. should, you
1: should be speaking to an audience the way that you speak to your friends at the pub, or or your mates, or when you're having a chat with someone over a coffee. Those sorts of things. So you kind of want quite a natural. What my my particular style, I quite like being quite sort of natural on stage. Mm. So just like a heightened version of myself, rather than putting on a character or um, delivering a performance the way that an actor might have to deliver a performance mm-hmm. or the way that. Somebody does Toastmasters delivers a speech. You're not delivering it at this audience. You're having a conversation with them. It just happens that in this conversation, you're the only one talking. You're the only one talking, gotcha. and, their, and their only responses is, is in laughter or booming or heckling, or whatever. But generally, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's
0: laughter. Yep. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Fingers crossed. It's Fingers smarter. crossed. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you do with like with a joke that doesn't land? When you got like awkward silences,
1: if it's not if it's not working, generally what you do is so it might not you're testing your stuff out mm-hmm. you might you might have a framework of a joke or, or an idea and you'll try it a few times and if it's not getting the response you want you might sort of tweak it you might cut out certain words you might change um, some of the information um, to shorten it to get to the punchline faster And if you've done that three or four times and it's still not working sometimes you just have to cut it Um that's when you're developing something if you're in like if you're doing like a like a, like a pro gig where you're up there doing your you know you're your, your doing material that, that you know works a line that you've done multiple times before it doesn't work you can just go okay just move straight on to the next one right you, sometimes you don't even have to acknowledge it right you can just go oh okay that's that's the response that they're giving it this afternoon or this evening cool all right no worries i'll go on to the next one if, if you've been doing it if you've done the material enough time do you know it's good you can be confident in your own
0: mm-hmm. your own ability in your,
1: in your own writing so you don't have to worry about it too much
0: so then you're kind of just like, oh, the audience might not be warm yeah, to they me might yet. might not be or... really
1: warm to me yet, or there might be some other distraction, there might be some noise from coming in from the kitchen, or they could be too spaced out on account of level two lockdown situation, <laughs> which happens. Well, sometimes sometimes people have just had a bad day, and they're not, not up for a laugh, and just have to go, okay, that's how it is. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Right. Um, how do you deal with hecklers? You don't
1: generally get hecklers in New Zealand. People are very, they're often too shy. Uh... Other times, if someone does call out, it's often to inquire about something or they haven't, they haven't understood something or they often are just ask, answering a rhetorical question that you've asked and they haven't realized it's rhetorical. Um, <laughs> sometimes people, maybe they've had a few beers and they just want to be the center of attention. You can say, oh, get a little laugh for them. Give them a round of, hey, thanks for coming out. Give them a round of applause, audience applauds, And then they've had their moment and then you can move on.
0: That's such a nice way to... That's a really nice way to deal a with A lot that. of the ways, a lot of the
1: times it works. A lot of the times they just want to be acknowledged and, you know, oh, it's Ralph's birthday today. Hey, we're around Ralph. We'll have a happy birthday. Good on you, Ralph. Thanks for coming out. Hey, so, uh, you know, speaking of birthdays, have you ever had and you move swiftly away and you sort of draw that attention away? Right. Um, I, I mean, Most people have come out to a comedy show to have a good time. No one's yeah. come... No one... Very rarely have you got someone there who's was specifically turned up to disrupt the event in New Zealand, it's very unlikely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if the gig has been run properly, like if it's started on time, if it's finished on time, if the doors have opened half an hour before the show starts, so people aren't too boozed, mm. if um uh you know if the if the lights are working properly, if the, if the PA is, is audible, if you're in a controlled space, so the only people in the room are the people there to see the show. If um the the, the bar staff aren't disrupting because you've already spoken to them in advance. So there's a whole lot of things that a producer can do to make sure the, um, that that heckler doesn't even happen in the first place. Right. So there are a lot of steps that you can take to minimize the chances. It's like fun. a health and safety. You've got to reduce you know, the right? hazards. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you want to reduce the hazards. Like the alcohol one is, is, is really important. Like That's why you got, like, very rarely would we start a show after, like, 8 o'clock. Because, right. Because um, if you've had after-work drinks, uh, by the time you turn at 8, you've already had 2 or 3. Yeah. It's around a good level. And yeah. you have a break, you have your second, you have your fourth beer of the evening, uh, and then the show's done. The yeah. show's done, and then you're like, oh, we'll get we'll home. So um, right. if, you, if that show starts late, the eight o'clock start turns into like quarter to nine, uh, mm. people start getting a bit agitated, and they're just yeah. sitting down for too long. They start getting un, you know, uh, restless. Uh, that's why I like halves of shows to be 40 to 50 minutes. 40 to 50 minutes is around about the right time, because people have had a couple of drinks, and after 40 minutes, then you go to the bathroom. And mm. So that's when you have your break, mm. yeah. I'm talking about the the admin side of things rather than that, I know things, but it's like that has such an impact on the on the success of a of a show and on the, on the success of the experience of performing on stage. If those things haven't been taken care of, you can have a you know perform. Like, oh, I'm having really struggling. It's like yeah, but it's not your fault. It's not the audience's fault. It's the producer's fault for screwing this up.
0: Right. Yeah. That's that's such an interesting perspective because I feel like me who goes to is going to a comedy show tonight actually like wouldn't know that wouldn't oh, right, know yeah. that ideally
1: your audience shouldn't even be thinking yeah because you shouldn't have to it's not your yeah. job you paid your ticket you've done all you need to do and the performer have done all they need to do they've prepared the mm. material they're going to go up and deliver it they shouldn't be able to worry about those things it shouldn't mm. be an issue for them mm.
0: Mm. have you had hecklers um because you you've gone over to the uk have you had hecklers in the uk
1: I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't getting, uh, like I did Edinburgh, but that was, that was a very different experience because I was doing um, Edinburgh Fringe is just haywire, man. Yeah. (laughs) I would do, I'd have done three or four shows before, seven in the, you know, 7pm in the evening. Wow. My my, my time slot was um, uh, quarter to four in the afternoon and I was playing in a, uh, an old children's library, a room in an old children's library and I was standing on a crate and just with no microphone, and I'd be performing to, I think the most I performed to was about 30 people, and then it was everything, everything under 30. I think I did a, did a show to, like, two, and you would just do it every day for, like, three weeks. I, I, I did, like, yeah, 19, 20, 20, 20 days in a row. Um, Is it, it the same?
0: Yeah. Is it, if, if you've got only two people in the audience, do you just kind of, like, casual it up a bit or yeah like no, sit down on yeah. the crate and just be yeah. like "Okay, hey, it's just us two man but yeah, well, it's yeah. like it's just the three of us I mean, here if, tonight
1: if you can play the two you can play that any number of people yeah that's you true. just treat it like a just treat it like a conversation mm-hmm. just treat it like yeah it was it goes back to the like, you know debating in high school when you'd be doing your debates um after school at three thirty um in front of like the other team, and, like, two teachers, and that would be your entire audience. That's
0: true, Cause, yeah. Because yeah. who goes to a
1: high school debate? Yeah. And who's going go to go to a comedy show at quarter to four in the afternoon? Yeah. Um, oh, wow, they were on at the same time. They would have been on at the same time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, my God. Oh, about that. Full so circle. So that's
1: why I got so accustomed to performing in the afternoon. <laughs> um, yeah. So, that yeah, that, that was it. But, um, no, I didn't really, um... Yeah, because I was I was just sort of doing I was doing some I did a little bit of open mic stuff in London in, in, in did Edinburgh Fringe. Um so I, I wasn't really there long enough to kind of get your teeth into the scene. Like, mm. You need to be there a couple of years right. and um, build up your networks. It's London is It is brutal. Like the open mic scene is just pretty. Some of it's pretty awful. Like just barely run gigs because there's, there's, okay. there's such a uh, uh, such a massive demand for stage time uh, that you can run any terrible show and uh, the lineup will be full, will be full of people looking to get to clock up stage time. Yeah, because the stakes are potentially quite high. Because if, if you make it, if you make it in London, you, you know, well, obviously not now, but back then, you know, you, you could be just a full time comedian, mm. just does a gig, and you didn't even have to be famous. Mm. You just had to be good. Yeah. and had the, had the ability to, to sort of tour you know constantly so there was the potential to actually make a, a full time living there so that's that's where a lot of performers would flock to mm. to London or they flock to LA to do stand up comedy become an actor or New York to become like, a, you know, like, a, like a, a journeyman kind of comic mm. um, so yeah like London seemed very very difficult but the ones that, if you can make it there it's um, a lot of comedians will go to London and come back and just kill it. People like Ben Hurley, James McIsay, like you, uh, you know, Rhys Darby had to get out, had mm. to had to leave New Zealand and go to and he like he he fought in London for like ten years before he made it. Before oh he came, wow! You know, able to make a living out of it. Yeah. So yeah, but it's a real grind, and we were just there for like nine months. Right. So,
0: yeah. yeah, and and like that didn't attract you at all, like, the London scene, you weren't, like, Just London. London
1: was kind of, it's very, um, very harried, like, in order to meet a friend, you'd have to book with them two, three months in advance, because their schedule would just be so busy,
0: right. and even when I was in,
1: I was in Edinburgh, I was flirting with a, another, um, New Zealander, Javier Hakim, who's from Christchurch, but he's, he's gone to London, he's making it, he's making it in the UK and you know i was edinburgh i was having fun doing these shows and he would do these shows and then come home and he'd be on his laptop booking in gigs for you know six months in advance in london booking in his, his shows for the for, for next year he was constantly um rehearsing writing doing admin doing like i was like this guy doesn't does this does he even enjoy this yeah <laughs>
0: anymore? <laughs> yeah. You're just in a bit of a rat race, like a bit of yeah, a Yeah, what, yeah. It's not a rat race. You know the the little wheel that that Hempster, mice the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. But mice use it too. Well, mice do
1: use it. You we know, don't so... hamsters are illegal in New Zealand. <laughs> what? Yeah, you can only have guinea pigs. If someone sold you a hamster, nah, that's a guinea pig uh with a fur jacket on. Um Who like a a um environmental threat or something. Are oh, they right. the crops,
0: yeah. Wow. I did not know that. Do you have a okay, do you I'm have gonna... a thing about that? You should no, make a set about
1: that. No, I think like you just, just mentioned it. I should it.
0: I'm okay with that, to be honest. I'll be, I'll be alright.
1: Perhaps guinea pigs do pretty much the same job. Yeah, and, and they're cheaper.
0: They're cute too. They are like their little sounds, and and they get lonely. You have to have two. If you yeah, get a guinea pig, you can't have just one. You have to have really? two. Yeah, because they they get lonely and they legit get depressed and they will oh. die if they really? yeah. Um, Like, my my, my auntie has guinea pigs, and she had a guinea pig that was, like, old and passed away, and the other guinea pig was, like, on its own, and she's like, I really need to get another one, because, like, otherwise, like, this one might cork it as well, just out of sadness, and I was like, oh, my God, it's so intense, like... Yeah, but, like, they just, yeah, they have to have community. Otherwise, right. it's, like, they're, like, what's the point? What's and I'm just, point? like,
1: oh, my God. Just running around this wheel for, for who?
0: Yeah, yeah, for whom? <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to appreciate my gains. It's just, there's no point. It's oh, terrible.
1: my God. Well, my sister-in-law had, um, they used to have, like, um, lovebirds. Like, lovebirds like, like, a breed of bird. I think it's just called lovebirds. And they would always pair up. And right. And, and so they had, like, a big um, aviary with lots of these lovebirds in it. And then, like, there was one bird that didn't have a partner. And other birds bullied it to death. Like, oh my the, god! The punishment for being single. Uh,
0: wow, that's so intense. <laughs> <laughs> You're they're
1: like they don't like they don't like people that they not like birds that are different. Yeah, yeah it's it's like I'm basis. a
0: strong independent bird, and I don't need no wow.
1: bullshit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you need backup, man. You <laughs> can't, can't make it on your own. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh my word. Yeah, so like London didn't entice you at all. You were like, mm, nah, not for me. No, and, I mean, and also we had
1: to come back because we um well we've got a five year old now, so I was like, oh, we had to come back because we're having a baby, so. <laughs> so I just came back to come back to Wellington, and it was all good. And like, in comedy wise, I came back and I was like, was hungry as well. Like, I really wanted to get out and just just do some gigs and run some stuff and make some things happen.
0: Yeah, good on you. You managed to get on to. I didn't. This is this shows how. Young I am, but I didn't Hmm. even know that Reese Darby had, like, a Christmas comedy cracker show.
1: (laughs) Had no idea. You looked this up on YouTube, I eh? did. Well, like, Um, just Google in general. That would have been back in 2000 and... I think it would have been
0: 2010. Something, yeah, 2010 or 2011. Somewhere around
1: there. This is funny, because the reason I got on that show was I had emailed the producer, Hilary Coe, about something else. Um, so Hilary Co used to be the director of the comedy festival when I started so the comedy festival won by the New Zealand Comedy Trust up in Auckland um, and so I knew her and sort of got, got on quite well and I was just starting up Humorous Arts in Wellington the charitable trust for stand-up comedy in Wellington I'd just come up with the idea and I was and I sort of I was asking her for some advice I said what do you think I should do and she's like it's a good idea you should do it I was like okay Hilary Coe says it's a good idea because if anybody knows comedy in New Zealand it was it a was, tour and she said it's a good idea and I was like okay thanks and then she said hey i'm actually organizing this this uh lineup show uh to be televised with rich darby do you want to be on it and i was like yeah sure so completely just coincidentally i happened to email her just at the time that she was um Mm. so that was real funny because it was like a, a tv gig so it's quite a big deal and you have to sign a contract and you have to email and like the the script outlining the topics you're going to discuss. Oh, really? Um, to make sure that it was uh, like appropriate for the uh, broadcast or whatever. Yeah. Um, and get got flown up and put up at you know the Sky City Hotel. I remember it was a funny experience because I was just starting out with humorous Arts trust, and I I was um, I wasn't poor. I was just broke. I just I just burnt through all my money. Yeah. And so to get to get access to the hotel you had to pay a um you know that they, they make you pay like a hundred dollar bond for your room oh, for your
0: room and, and i was
1: like right oh i actually don't have that money oh <laughs> and i had to call up Hillary Cohen again. <laughs> and she had to come down to the hotel to pay this hundred dollar bond wow so I could access this room that they paid they paid um they paid for me <laughs> yeah go on go on stage at, at sky city theater and perform to 800 people and have it and uh, you know broadcast on the on tv too and this whole time i'm like cool i've actually i can't afford to get taxi back to the airport had to get my friend to drive me to the airport Mm -hmm. Um, because i just got not go into overdraft on my account and the bank weren't gonna give me any more money yeah that was like the start of humorous arts was like having no money and just still being like yeah but i think it's gonna work yeah it makes sense on paper Hilary Coe said it was a good idea. So
0: <laughs> that's think, your only foundation. You're was, like, was yeah, like, she this, said. like she said
1: it's gonna work. And I trust, <laughs> I trust her and I know my I knew my own abilities mm. and I knew the scene and I had enough I knew the I had enough connections. So I was like, yeah, nah, it is gonna even though I've got no money, it is gonna work. Mm-hmm. And it did work, so that's good good do
0: you have a bit more money now
1: yeah yeah okay okay. good yeah
0: all right good good (laughs) um did you find that that show um did that you know because being televised that's really great press for you um lots of people would have seen seen it did that help you in any way do you think or was it just kind of like bye Auckland same same down in Wellington
1: yeah it's pretty much just yeah
0: yeah.
1: Bye, audience. See you <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I was still going to have to come down to Wellington and, and do the grind, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to build the scene down here, and I knew that it was going to be hard work, and I was going to take a um, small incremental games sustained over a long period of time. I knew that that's what I needed to do down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, like someone else was on that lineup, and was one of her first television experiences was it ursula Carson? yeah who was gone who has skyrocketed yeah and is now doing sold-out shows across australia
0: she's got australia. like a netflix show doesn't she yeah
1: yeah she's got a netflix show so she's gone that route but she's absolutely worked on that wow. and like she was you know touring in australia and probably losing a lot of money as well at the start right um but she really really put a lot of time and effort into building up her uh profile and, and her material and her stage song blah 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 so she's done very, very well out of it but, uh, yeah, so I came back to Wellington and was just, okay, that was cool, and, it, and the TV thing gave me a bit of money as well, mm. um, and that was sort of enough to kind of, yeah, sustain for a wee while. Yeah. So it was that, and the other lucky thing that happened was um, I, got an, I got an ad, I got a, so I got a got a feature role in a, in a TV ad, um, purely by, once again, purely by luck. Right. I was running a gig at um, Buzz Bar in Lower Hut and... Uh, it was sort of like the first gig out out of the Wellington, outside of the Wellington Comedy Club, the first regular gig. The Wellington Comedy Club used to, would, would run every Thursday at Indigo, which is now San Fran, and uh, I sort of wanted to wanted more stage time, so I started running this little gig once a month, Buzz Bar, Lower Hut on a Sunday night, very uh, um, not low stakes. Very low status kind of a gig. Right, you're performing to thirty, forty, fifty people. Mm-hmm. It's a Sunday night. It's in a it's in a, like a little cafe, mm-hmm. and uh, we had to bring in lights and a PA and put black like, wow. curtains behind the windows because we were opposite the Queensgate, and if we didn't put blackout curtains, the lights from the car park would shine in. Oh, behind sure. the Performers, yeah. Yeah. So I was running that little gig, and this was when um, newspapers actually had reporters, and we <laughs> used to you could email the Hunt News. And they would go, yeah, sure. And they'd do a story on you. And they'd take your photo. And they'd put your photo on the paper. And this agent, this acting agent, saw my photo. cold called me. I don't even know how she got my number. Wow. And said, hey, are you, do you want to be involved in acting? And I was like, okay. Great. <laughs> Can I be your agent? And I was like, yeah, okay. I don't, I'm, to this day, I've never met her. Um, oh, wow. And uh, she got me an audition a few months later. And I got my first. I had one audition and I got the role. Which is for this uh, this character in an ad for Fatso, which is an online D V D rental company which is no longer exists now because yes. Netflix turned oh,
0: My boyfriend needs to work for them. Really? Wow, yeah. 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 For Fatso, oh. yeah. So I was Amazing. like the co
1: star on this on this uh, this series of ads. And again, you know, flying up to Auckland, put up in a hotel and we shot over shop these ads over two or three days mm-hmm. and I've uh, got like a good good hunk of money burnt through it while was setting up hearing Arts trust and then yep. oh no
0: big mistake
1: <laughs> and then this is the other second third stroke how many how many strokes of luck have I had uh, you're just a add,
0: very lucky dude did, did, guy. did you like swallow a rabbit's foot as a child or something like <laughs> that was very lucky they had um,
1: uh, rolled over what that means is they played it for another year which means you get paid again oh, you get paid the same the fee so I got, I got <gasps> the exact same fee I burnt through the first uh, a lot of money. I got the exact same fee all over again. And yeah. Then I, I never spent, I banked that one. Yeah. And, and so that that was, if I hadn't got that second fee, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe humorous arts wouldn't have happened. Wow. i to get that second fee. <laughs> that was, <laughs> yeah, that was, man, that was fluky, eh? But if I hadn't run that show, if I hadn't taken that risk and run that gig mm. and lower at up, BuzzBar, at mm. BuzzBar, and contacted that um, reporter and got the photo on the paper, it wouldn't have happened, right? Yeah. So if I hadn't, Taken the risk of running that gig and put the time into it, then um, that luck wouldn't have happened
0: yeah so there's like a lot
1: of luck, but there's a lot of um I was still doing the work
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know so I was still doing the work and then these little moments of luck would hit, and then you'd capitalize on it
0: so you started with Buzzbar and then you kind of did you expand or did you move to because you be- started becoming a producer in that sense right yeah,
1: yeah I, no I just just ran Bar for quite a few oh, goodness me a few years. Just, just like, just very casual, just little monthly shows.
0: 2006 to 2009. Oh, did I write that down somewhere? Yep. Oh, it's, wow. It's okay. somewhere. It's somewhere out there. Yeah, in yeah, okay. the ether, and on then the I internet.
1: Think then we would do it, um, do little shows during, um, yeah, during the comedy festival as well. Mm-hmm. And comedy in New Zealand was still pretty small back then. So a lot of the big acts, people like Diane Henwood, Jeremy Alwood, Brendan Lovegrove, played it, Steve Wrigley, I think Michelle Court maybe, but you could just flip them an email and offer a gig in Lower Hut at a cafe on a Sunday night and they'd go, Oh yeah, thanks <laughs> They were just, <laughs> they were just like they were just keen for any sort of yeah. any sort of stage time. Yeah. Even like Dahemodim, I mean he was pretty big. Like he was just getting big on on channel four, um, Roll of the Die was his big T V show. Right. But he would still turn up and you know, I said, Oh I've got, you know, three gigs for you. Uh, one is uh, one is at Buzz Bar and another one is at um it's a fundraiser for Korakorak Play Centre at the little theatre in Lower Hutt. And he'd go, Yeah, thanks <laughs> and he'd come along and do them and see, he was very yeah, they were people are very generous with their time. I mean, you we're paying them too, but they were very generous with their time. Um whereas Diane would now he's just too busy, you can't get yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, it was good because I think a, a sort of relationships that are developed back then are uh, some of the relationships I've still got.
0: Yeah. Like I've even
1: gone back and, and run gigs at Buzz Bar now like whatever it is 10 years later mm-hmm. and still work with Alwood still work with Michelle Yeah. Um, Justine Smith Lovegrove all those people um, Ravon Khan um, are still mm-hmm. still around and are still doing gigs
0: mm.
1: with us which is which is really nice. Yeah. So I think those relationships uh, that sort of sustained through humorous arts and just through running the gigs before have been really, really important. I think it's really important to view um, artists and, and gigs and these sorts of things and venues um, not as like a transaction, but as a, as a relationship that we're developing. Mm. Rather than going in, I want to get as much as I, as much as I can out of this, yeah. move on to the next show. It's like, okay, how is this going to affect things next year, the next two, three years? Right. Where is this person going to be in two, three years' time? What is this venue needing over the next few months? So viewing it as like a like a, like a long term relationship rather than mm-hmm. I'm just going and and going and leaving and yep. then starting again.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Who do you try to book for these kind of gigs?
1: Well, what we've been able to develop over the past sort of ten years is we've got an audience for comedy now rather than an audience for I want to go and see that person I saw on TV. Right. Which is a really really important shift. Um. Even 10 years, maybe even five years ago, a lot of people would just, they would just want to go and see the person that they saw on TV. Oh, we saw that person on Seven Days. Mm. Oh, we saw that person on the comedy gala on TV. So that's who we want to go and see. Mm. Whereas if you run enough gigs, um, and I mean like several hundred, eventually people start going, Oh, we went along to a show. We didn't know who was on, but we had a good time. So we trust stand up comedy as an entertainment option now. Right. So that's a, that's a sort of a thing that we might go out and do on a Friday night. The show's called Friday Laughs, or like we we got this series of shows, Friday Laughs, Saturday Laughs. It's very simple. The title explains yeah. what it is. Yeah. This is when it uh, when it happens. This is what you're going to do there. Yeah. Uh, and people will just buy tickets and just just come along and, and go, "Oh, that was great. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, I wonder who, 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 who were they? We've often, um, even this year, uh, we had people like email the Facebook page. Oh, who was this act? We really enjoyed them, and we'd like to follow them. You know, right? And so uh, performers are starting to build a profile without having to. Um, get that lucky deal and yeah. get the comedy going, so you no know, when I'm booking a, like a lineup for uh, say like a regional show like a show outside of central Wellington
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so we' just upper hut, some lower hut, just started running um one in, in Featherston. now you generally mm-hmm. want performers you want you you want a friendly MC you want an MC that's very um uh, amicable like uh so conversationalist sort of style sort of warm sort of a welcoming kind of person and then a lineup I always like to have like a mix of different energies mm-hmm. so your opening act is you want is like your, your safe pair of hands this is the, the person that is doing what people expect stand-up comedy to be so mm-hmm. maybe it's more sort of observational a few sort of sort of fast jokes um sort of really sort of friendly and then you can have sort of uh, sort of different styles more sort of, sort of deadpan Uh, or um, sort of longer sort of storytelling stuff a little bit later in your lineup, and then you generally close with somebody who's just really, really solid, something Mm -hmm. like a solid 20. So having like a range of different styles is really useful, and a range of sort of different people from different backgrounds, Mm -hmm. because you really it's nice when you come along to a gig, and you'd be like, oh, I've I've had that experience of being a a parent, or being a single person in my early 20s. Or I've had that experience of being uh, an immigrant or of being gay or of having a disability or of having blah, 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 a whole range of different experiences. And um, that's how you build an audience because it's nice to go and see your story being reflected on stage Mm. or somebody describing an experience that you had in a way you didn't think about and getting you to laugh about it. Uh, And that's a stable gig as if you've got a regular audience and regular audience is made up of regular people, and regular mm. people come from all different backgrounds, yeah. So that's who you want to have on your stage, yeah. Um, yeah, that's almost sounded quite cynical because I was like, This is how we sell the most tickets, <laughs> but it's also, it's also good, like creatively, as well. Like, yeah, that, that, that's what a lot of people find creatively, uh, um, fulfilling is like telling their own stories mm. and being able to tell that to an audience that has got some of their people in that audience, yeah. And so that's sort of more enjoyable and people will stick around in comedy a lot longer if, they have, if they're have they feeling like that, mm. rather than feeling like, oh, I have to go up there and talk about, cats are like this and dogs are like this and, ah, oh, who hates Australians? I hate them. Um, <laughs> which, I mean, that can be really funny. But if that's not what you're passionate about, you might sort of do comedy for a couple of years and then go, oh, I don't really enjoy this anymore. You know, it's not, right. really, it's not really me on stage. Mm. So being able to provide performers with a really varied audience um gives you a really varied varied um green room and mm-hmm. uh, and keeps them around for longer and they mm-hmm. start to they start to see comedy as just like a even if it's not a full time job, maybe it's a part time job or maybe it's like a really fun hobby that they get a lot of fulfillment out of.
0: What what would your advice be then for someone who's like wanting to start into comedy or maybe they've done a few gigs but there's they're sort of still kind of starting out?
1: Uh the the most important thing is just to keep turning up. Turning up is like 80% of it. When I think about who I'm booking for, like regional shows so I'm thinking of newcomers. Like I've basically got a, a Google Doc spreadsheet where I've got all the lineups going back years. And, gears. and I, I'll look back at the past, say four or five months, mm. and see, oh yeah, I remember I saw that person on that Monday. Oh yeah, they, yeah, they've been doing quite well. And I see, oh, I see they're 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 regularly turning up to the to the Wednesday show that Rob Harris runs. And I'll pop along to the Wednesday shows and I'll see them and I'll be like, oh okay, that person they've taken that same material and they've tweaked it a bit or they've, they've got this really solid six and I've seen them do it two or three times and it's, and it's still really solid. Oh, I should probably give them an opportunity on a Friday or a Saturday. So just being like physically present uh, uh, is, is, is the best way to get that stage time mm. because I, to be honest, like I deal with, with like dozens and dozens of, of, of people every month um, and it's hard for me now uh, it's harder for me to keep track of, of who I've seen and, and, and what sort of stage they're at. So it's much, much easier if I see somebody at a gig rather than somebody emailing and saying, Hey, I'm really interested and in, I'm doing really well. You're like, oh, okay. Where? I, have, I haven't seen you. Where are you doing yeah. well? You know? Yeah. So there are lots of um, really stable open mic gigs around Wellington. Mm. There's also, um, do you know Neil Thornton? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Neil Thornton's little comedy school has been. Uh, going really well so Neil he's he's an American comedian he's based in based in Wellington now and he comes from mm-hmm. a um, he was like an English, English literature professor right so he's, he's oh. he knows how to teach
0: he's got the voice for it man he's got the voice he knows, <laughs> he knows how to teach
1: and he knows and he knows comedy mm. and so he's been running these little uh, his, his, his comedy school which is sort of like a, yeah like, like a workshop comedy workshop so that, that can be an interesting way to get into to get into stand up if you don't you don't feel comfortable turning up on a Monday night out of the blue. Mm. But otherwise, turning up on a Monday night out of the blue is <laughs> the best way. <laughs> for my Just deep end. And that's, that's where most, most people will start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Because, like, Monday is very low stakes. You're probably in front of 20, 30 people. It's very cash. There's no pressure on you. The MCs always, at our gigs, the MCs always going to know what they're doing. Mm. The mic's going to work. The lights are going to work. <laughs> there aren't going to be any of All stuff that we're talking about at the start. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. Would a good idea for someone who say wanted to be in one of your shows, would a good idea be to email you and be like, Hi, I'm gonna perform at this gig on this time if you wanna like come along. Like this is yeah, an invite. Absolutely,
1: yeah. Mm. If I can then I often yeah, often sort of come along and come along and watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you've got that and I mean the Royal Comedy Quest is always really popular every year as well. We just had the final of that a couple of weeks ago um but yeah there are are plenty of opportunities to get on stage in wellington
0: Mm. Mm. and
1: just get that first five minutes first six minutes i also say too don't overthink the first 10 20 gigs the first 10 gigs 20 gigs is just about getting on stage and being comfortable up there Mm. and don't worry if if it's not going well for the first five or six it doesn't matter Mm. just 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 get into that habit of just turning up a spot going back and oh i'll change this i'll change that and then going back up again mm-hmm. but yeah the first 10 20 picks, don't even worry about
0: it so you you just talked about um neil thornton's like comedy school mm. but you're you've also done work like as a workshop facilitator like how did how did the how did the comedy stuff feed into that at all? oh
1: yeah so that was um when i started at humorous arts I had a period where I just asked everybody I knew for advice or, like, what was their experience working in in the arts. Uh, So I I talked to um, people like Michelle Accord and Jeremy Alwood because they were just people that I knew from just booking them. And um, Jan Marie, who used to run, like, uh, one of the longest-running gigs in Hamilton at The Cook. Do you know Jan Marie? Maybe not. I don't, but I know The Cook. Mm. Oh, right, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was like, um, she was real old school. Come up from the nineties, like real. She was hardcore. She was good. <laughs> um, and I also spoke to Ziggy, who ran, um, who ran San Fran. Oh who yeah, San Fran. So he ran the London Comedy Club. And the two people, another two people I spoke to were Greg Ellis and Tim Gordon, and they were running. They um, Tim Gordon still runs the Improvisers, which are a corporate um, yeah. improv entertainment company, mm-hmm. and he also runs the Pro Actors, which is a um, acting agency, which I'm now sign signed on their books as well. And so I was, I was, I was talking to Tim and Greg. I was like, oh, I've got to set up this thing. And like, I don't know how to do it. But I think it's a good thing. Hillary Coe said it's a good thing. <laughs> and, um, and they were like, yeah, it sounds like a good thing. We don't know how you're going to do it either. But you can use our office space if you like. You can use the office space. You can come in whenever you want. And we'll give you a little desk. And you can use our Wi-Fi or whatever. And so I would turn up to the office and sit on my laptop. And I'll be booking people in for a room meet Monday and I'll be trying to organize festival stuff and I would just do it in their office. And um, their company, the improvisers, they got a, a contract to run, uh, a really big contract to run customer service workshops for a major retail chain, and then for a year, for, a, yeah, for a two major retail chains. And they asked me if I wanted to be like one of their, one of their team members, and I said, sure. So ended up uh, doing, oh, going around, one of them was just going around the country, probably uh, all around the North Island, doing these little workshops for 30 to 40 staff members at a time and then we pack up all the gear and then drive to the next mm-hmm. city and then another one was, we were based out of a warehouse in South Auckland and we did all the staff from all their stores in the Auckland area and they would come in and be like a four hour workshop about customer service and open ended questions and how to deal with the difficult customers and um, all that kind of sort of stuff that's kind of sort of basic but it can be quite nice to hear it presented in a different manner and so parts of the workshop we would do like little role plays of customer interactions Yeah. and um, yeah like oh one we were there for like there for two months so we would do the same workshop like twice a day um, we did it like 80 times or something 70, 80 times me and this other guy Andy Andy Spargo the um, up there it was there was heaps of fun but you really got into the Discipline of presenting this workshop the same way and with the same enthusiasm from uh, what was it, ten a.m. to two p.m. Then we had a three-hour break and then five p.m. to nine p.m. and we right. were doing that uh, five days, five days a week, and then I had weekends off. And I was I was having to I had to find a flat. So I was paying for my flat down in Wellington Oof. and then had to go to pay for a flat up in Auckland Oof. at the same time. But it was the money was real good. And uh, yeah, you really got into the discipline of mm-hmm. doing it, of, mm-hmm. of always turning up and always being present and knowing that, for, for me, this might be the 60th time I've presented this workshop, but for them, this is the first time for them hearing it, so yeah. I've got to deliver it so, so that, it, that it still hits with the same impact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was a real, yeah, that was a real discipline thing, even though you're still performing in a way, and we're of doing comedy, because some of the parts of which I'm quite funny, yeah, the role-playing and stuff. But we still had to turn up, know your lines, and be able to but be friendly and be conversational mm. and be fluid and being able, being able to respond to the different requests that the, the you know the people in front of you would have.
0: Mm. You didn't try to spice it up every now and again? Yeah, we definitely did. Oh, okay, um, so we, <laughs> You were like, we do it the same way every time. I'm like, whoa, okay.
1: Because no. we would um, oh, we do this role play where we would do this thing. We'd say, oh, look, um. You know, Andy can be a, uh, a customer. What sort of what sort of sort of customer would it be? So it, it could be anybody. So, a man or woman. They go, oh, so he's
0: a woman. He's gonna be a woman. Like,
1: ah, Andy, Andy would play. Out, oh, darn. And So it should, be, it, should be, it should be a younger lady or older. He's he's an old woman. He's an old lady. And so, Andy, <laughs> so every single time, Andy would have to play. But we, the way we would ask the questions, the we knew we knew that they were gonna make him like an old lady. And, uh, and then we would say, uh, we used to get bored, so we did this other thing. We would go. Oh, how about this, uh, this, uh, customer? Maybe they've got a cool accent. What accent is Andy? Hey. Because <laughs> it's, it's so, if you say cool accent, you get safe accents. You get, you get European accents. You get oh. French, Spanish, or Mexican. Because if you say any accent, they can get racist and you're like, oh. But if you say a cool accent, they always go Spanish or French. And those are like safe or Scottish. Yeah. Oh, I think i Mexican. And oh, I think I did Jamaica. Did end up doing Jamaica at one point. Um, it was a lot of fun. But the, the best one was... Because um, so we're working predominantly, like, Pacifica people. So, like, Maori Pacific Islanders. And, and one of them just went, Do Samoan. He's an old Samoan lady. <laughs> and oh. we were like... We were like, oh, okay. Because the dynamic of the room, right, is just... We're just two people by ourselves. And you're in front of, like, thirty, forty, 40, um, you know, Maori Samoan. So, the dynamic is different. Mm-hmm. So, for us to do a Samoan accent there... Is funny.
0: Would have been okay. It's yeah, it's
1: funny because it's uh, that the power dynamic. There's more of them than there are of
0: us. Yeah,
1: and they've made the request. They, yeah, they've asked us to do it, and so we we're like, okay. And so I'll we, pick up what <laughs> you're putting down. Yes, yeah, <laughs> let's so, try yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. So it's so, the sort of stuff where like it's okay within that environment,
0: mm-hmm. but if we
1: would do it outside of that environment, it'd be be weird. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just. Being, being in South Auckland in a warehouse <laughs> watching this little, like, and he's like, really like, he's white, he's a Jewish guy doing it, like a, an old Samoan lady accent. And you're like, this would not be allowed in any
0: other workplace. Um, was it yeah. okay? Did he do all right? Yeah, he did pretty good. He did pretty
1: good. Yeah, great. Yeah. He did great. very well. It was really funny. we got big laughs. And we got good. the message cross too. Listening Lovely. to your customer.
0: Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. great.
1: But yeah, so I did that gig for like two months and it was, um, like, made enough money that just like, like took a holiday around the states it was great oh like, was you know, it was like a three week holiday mm. after that it was because it needed it because being away from yeah we were partners for like two months two and a half months whatever
0: yeah yeah it was, yep.
1: but that was just part of the job it was like 2013 I guess that was hmm mm.
0: yeah in a sense like is that you trying to just make as much money as possible within these realms like did you ever have like a corporate office job I did back in
1: when I got out of university
0: Mm -hmm.
1: went travelling for a bit and then I got an office job for a year and um, got restructured and then got another office job and then I was just like this is dumb this sucks so um, setting up the I I think I went back to university and got three quarters of the way through honours got the ad got the money went through the money (laughs) Got, the, got the, the next lot of money, <laughs> yeah. then set up the charitable trust, and then just been running the charitable trust.
0: Uh, so then that side of it sort of became too much, and then you stopped doing honours? Or um, did you finish honours? No, no, yeah, I
1: stopped. I got three quarters of the way through, yep. and then just left. I wish I'd wish I finished it. But I, yeah, I could tell my heart wasn't really in it, and it required more work than I think I was prepared to put in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I met some really cool people through it.
0: What was it? Honors and oh, those linguistics. So, oh, okay. Um, social yeah. linguistics. Yeah, because yeah. So the sort of hustling thing. So um, the TV gig that oh, was getting right. quite good money, and uh, then yeah,
1: some of these workshops, and then like you would just sort of pick up any like any sort of small MC gigs around town at, uh, at, at various comedy gigs. But another one that I did was um, just quiz hosting. Mm-hmm. So I hosted, uh, hosted a quiz at the Strathmore local every Tuesday. 7pm uh, to 9pm uh, for about 3 years right. and there's like 100 bucks a week and you go there grocery money mm-hmm. so I'd turn up same time I'd always turn up on time and have it finished by If I, I got really fast towards the end so I'd have it all finished by like quarter past nine mm-hmm. um, and then people would pack up and go home uh, but we'll just do that every Tuesday it's just another discipline thing mm-hmm. just turning up with the same friendliness and delivering and being able to read all the questions and get it done by, by like nine fifteen. it's mm. a tuesday people still want to go home um and so that yeah, did that must have been two or three years and then after that i go straight to cookbook and pack and say get my groceries and go home right
0: it's like my that was my, my routine your routine yeah. On a, on a, on a tuesday. yeah so that was like grocery money but did you were you doing like other gigs that managed to cover like rent and expenses and, Man, and I, other I things remember, how did i do it how did you do it? How did I pull it off back then? It's the rabbit's I foot again, isn't that, it?
1: But I, I was doing that. I was doing. Um, I was doing student job search jobs, so I would pick up any sort of um, like gardening job, or whatever mm-hmm. that I could get, and I would do. I would I'd section areas where, where I would just do like temp, temp work for like, working reception or something crappy like that. Oh, I had to, I had like some writing for TV gigs. That were, like really small, but um, that was like a that was like another little another little thing. Man, how did I pull this off? <laughs> oh, big one! Got married, and had a <laughs> wife that worked that worked a part-time job, that worked a job as well. That's the big thing, yeah. Right. And we always we always had really cheap rent. Um, because when we first got married, we moved into a um. Uh, a friend, uh, their parents had bought them a house and so they, we had a room in their house and so we we're only paying 100 bucks a week rent. Those are the things that people forget about but that's, that's a really big part is having cheap rent. Yeah. Um, as an artist because now, I don't know how people do it now. It's crazy. Housing market is insane. Um, mm. And so when you think about you end up paying 100 bucks a week and we say if we were there for like a year and a half, that's, that's that, that can be, it's a pretty significant
0: mm. um, saving
1: whereas if we were in a regular flat, we were be paying two fifty or something like that. Yeah, so that's 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 another thing to, to factor in. Um. Then yeah, then just the results, We just started running more and more gigs, and uh, we started applying for small amounts of funding. Um, we'd get you know we'd hit the small creative communities grants. Uh, we ran. We ran Fringe Bar as a um, independent venue during the comedy festival. When yes, at the moment now your venues are, are run by the comedy festival, and you mm-hmm. have to pay like fixed rates. It's not like you know, like three hundred dollars a night or whatever. So it's, it can be can be quite expensive. Um, and so in some twenty eleven, Humorous Arts, we ran. We said, "Oh, we'll we'll look after Fringe Bar. We'll just take a percentage of of people's door sales." We'll take care of the tech. We we'll take care of the of the door, putting the chairs out, the blah blah blah, all that sort of stuff. Because mm. it's um it's not a theater; it's just a bar, right? Mm, they, mm. they make their money from alcohol sales. So we took a percentage of of tickets, and we told the festival that you know that, that we, we're happy to run a French bar. We're happy, happy for us to, to, to run the venue. Mm-hmm. And so for that, that those three weeks of the comedy, uh, we we're doing French festival, and during comedy festival, and like, we saved comedians thousands of dollars in, in venue high fees. And we were also able to hold $7,000 for mm-hmm. humorous arts trust that, that we took from the, from the percentage stake, which really changed how much shows cost performers in Wellington. So I think a big reason that we had a really strong scene that came out of 2011, 2012, 2013, was um, the, the independent venues mm. in, that, that were on in, in, um, during Comedy Fest. So we ran in French by independent, and then um, Ben Caldwell, who had worked with us at We'll Meet Monday, Started running Kitty O'Shea's as an event venue during Fringe and um and Comedy Fest, so a lot of performers who got their first um Comedy Fest experience, people like Rob Harris, Alice Bryan, Adam Wright, and Corey Smith, um who went on to do really really well in comedy. A big part of it was having venues that were being run by comedians rather than being run by a uh, trust. Based mm. up in mm. I love the Comedy Festival and they do a great job, but at that particular time, Runs mm. and comedy really really needed. Those accessible venues. The mm. thing with stand-up is the setup's very, very simple. That's mm. it's a good mic, good PA system, lights, seats that are facing the stage. Yeah. We don't have the same. We don't have the same costs that theatre does. We yeah. don't have the same costs that that musical or a band or other things have. Yeah, and so the the venue costs should reflect that, mm-hmm. and that's what I think we did, and that made us quite a bit. Of, that made us a decent bit of cash, mm. and it saved comedians thousands of dollars mm. and that's that seven comedians thousands of dollars is where a lot of violence and comedy came from yeah yeah we were we're gritty yeah, like we'll just <laughs> we can cut we'll cut we we'll cut we'll costs we'll, we'll, we'll cut yeah
0: mm. i've been dodging the humorous arts trust because i did want to i do want to talk about it but i feel like that time has come now what is the humorous arts trust
1: so with charitable trust we started in 2010 so originally it wasn't even my idea it was originally Mary Lane and Derek Flores Derek Flores is an um, amazing improviser down in Christchurch mm-hmm. and Mary Lane is a theater producer and, um, and artist and they had this idea of setting up, a, setting up a trust to support comedy on Wellington because what would happen is someone would be running gigs at the Wellington Comedy Club and then they would leave Wellington because that's the natural progression and then the whole thing would collapse and then we'd start again with a new person then that person would leave and they would collapse again, mm-hmm. which kept collapsing, and it was it was stink. <laughs> and Derek had just moved to Wellington, and he set up this sort of open mic night, we'll meet Monday,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, him and Mary Lane got on quite well together, and they said, hey, you know, we should you know set up this trust, and they asked me to help out. Mm. I was like, oh, sure, I'll help out. And then, whatever reason, Derek. <laughs> so he left, and then Mary Lane, it was, um, she got caught up with other projects. And, uh, and it sort of collapsed. And I'm I'm sick of this thing collapsing. I'll i get my old school friends together and we'll set up a new one. So I got my mate Jim Stanton, whose house uh, Jess and I moved into. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know if you know, she's a, she's great. She's a comic and Wellington comic. She's just coming back into the scene. Jim Stanton. And another friend of mine, Mateo who I started out in comedy with. And we were like, we don't know how to do this. But one of our strengths is if we don't know how to do something we have no shame in asking for help so we went to a lawyer and we said hey we want to set up a charity for comedy uh, how do we do it and they yeah. were like oh we'll just do it for you i was like great how much does <laughs> that cost 1500 bucks like, okay we haven't got that money but can we pay you later and they said yeah sure right so we put the ticket price up and uh oh. <laughs> and slowly saved up our money yeah <laughs> and then paid off the lawyer but that's the best money we ever spent right making sure that it was legit from the start yeah we were just a charity commission Dia, um, Ird, uh, registered as an employer, mm. so all our comedians are paying tax and stuff. That was the best money we ever spent. Um, 15, was that fifteen hundred bucks? And um, so we ran, set it up as a, as a as a charitable trust because the goal isn't to to make a profit. The goal is to was to build the community. There, yeah. there are charitable reasons. Yeah. Um. You know, supporting pe- people in their art, connecting them with producers. Building networks that sort of stuff so it wasn't like this is a business and at the end of it we're going to sell this business mm-hmm. it was like we're going to build this organisation so it can support violence and comedy so if anybody leaves comedy can carry on so I yeah. can pick it up for mm-hmm. the role um, so that was 2010 in 2011 Fringe Bar is an independent venue that was our first big hunger cash I remember the, when the money came in it was like five, six thousand dollars I was like oh, okay save it like yeah. because my whole thing at the beginning is just like you never know; bad things are going to happen. Yeah, we're going to we're going to save this money, and so yep. we always ran real tight budgets. Um, we always honoured all our performer fees. It's a really, really big one for me.
0: What's your performer fee?
1: Depends. Depends on the nature of the show, but like for sing Root Monday, it's 125 bucks. Right. So for a Monday night, two hours, you know, you know you're imSing 10x for a ten dollar gig, mm-hmm. twenty five bucks. That's that's pretty standard, and then. Um, Sort of goes up from there, mm-hmm. and then if, if you're just doing comedy for the first time, you know, or like you're doing your first paid spot, if it's like a six-minute spot as part of a lineup show. That um, the minimum one is fifty bucks before mm-hmm. tax, and then it sort of goes up from there. Right. So yeah, everything there. And then if we're booking corporate gigs, it's it gets a bit different. Yeah. Uh, gets sort of commercially sensitive around those amounts.
0: Yeah. Also, it's you're corporate. just like corporate. Give me your money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
1: you've got to be yeah. you got to be careful because you, yeah, you do need to pitch things appropriately, like, a gig that's playing in a 40-seater or 50-seater room is different to a gig that's playing in a 150-seater mm-hmm. is different to a gig where a client has, um, has booked a performer to perform to their team of architects or builders or whatever mm-hmm. and the budget's going to be different. But it's, um yeah, we pay pre- pretty fair rates mm. and we also guarantee them as well. So if the gig is cancelled, you still get paid. So when COVID right. ha- happened and we had to cancel some gigs, we still pay all the performance which right. is not, it's Actually, not usual in this industry, people just go, Sorry, get cancelled, catch you later. Yeah, um, but I always like to, to know that we've got money in the bank to pay for all the shows that we've got running if anything happened, anything yep. bad happened. So, we never take too great a risk. The shows that we're running now are helping pay for right? the shows that are going to
0: happen next year. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So it all just kind of comes back into that pot, it just comes
1: back into the pot and, and sort of keeps things sustainable. Mm-hmm. So, that's that's we've run in excess of a thousand gigs over the past. Few years, mm-hmm. so it's 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 a decent amount of stage time, and it's it's, it's a fair it's a fair whack of money. Mm. Like one week Monday, which is just a little open mic that no one bothers about. By the end of next year, would have paid total in excess of a hundred thousand dollars in mm-hmm. committee's pockets, mm-hmm. um, but you don't even notice it. Yes. Yeah. 125 bucks at a time. Yeah, um, but small and sustainable outperforms big and fancy on the in the long run. Slot my yep. paper on, slow and steady, accumulation, accumulation. Um, just like the quiz night, slow and steady. Just, yeah. Yeah. That's our that's, that's whole vibe. And that's, that's how we manage to keep going for so long. And that's where all these performers come from. And that's where they get all that stage time. It's mm. just small, slow, steady.
0: Is that sort of, I mean, when we were emailing, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm working from home today, so, like, this will be a good time. Are you working on Hat Humorous Arts Trust? Like, is that the, the thing that sort of keeps you most busy now?
1: yeah, yeah. So we've got a series of sort of gigs coming up this month. Bring back the ones in Comedy Club, which is going to be on San Fran. I've got this show in Featherston. We've got show in Upper Hutch coming up. Um, I've got so sort of, uh, um grants that I need to apply for mm-hmm. to keep things to keep things sort of ticking over. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 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 and just paying everybody's invoices. Oh, the whole the annoying thing about doing things legitimately is that you have to email back a comedian and go. Okay, you haven't deducted the tax from this. This is what it should be. Okay, you haven't added your IR three three OC form. To this, so I need. I need to have that, and then I have to deal with our bookkeeper. We've got a bookkeeper up in Auckland. um She's a comet. I, I can get comets. I'll use them. She's a um, comedian, but she's also an accounting student. And so she's. am oh, Back and back yeah. and forth with her about um, going to get the annual report out to the charities commission, mm. uh which is due. It's due in a few months, but I'm trying to get it done now. Yeah, and we had some issues with withholding tax and.
0: Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is all the dumb
1: stuff. but No, but really feels, important. Yeah, it's important. And it feels good when you can, because we've got a little Facebook group, um, Wellington Comedy Facebook group. And just like last month, I said, hey, so we just paid, you know, I paid off $500 in withholding tax um, from all the gigs that we're running this month. That's the equivalent of a of a, of a teacher working full time for a week. So our taxes, have we've made enough in tax to potentially pay a, a teacher to look after a bunch of kids for a week. Isn't that cool? You're making people laugh, but you're also Mm. going back into the system. Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: That's an awesome way to put it.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to get them to think, to not be so annoyed about having to pay it. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm trying to to frame it in a way like, hey, isn't it neat? And like, oh, hey, you know how you got that wage subsidy during lockdown?
0: Where do you think that money
1: came from? Mm. (laughs) Like, We're going to start, we know, we, we, we owe New Zealand quite a lot. They've been supporting us. So we need to run these gigs, make some money, pay it back. It's yeah. It's all part of the same system, so that's yeah, that's that's all part of it, and the having the grants and stuff, and yeah, the grants stuff. I actually find it kind of fun. Like it's um yeah. it's a challenge just um framing something in a way so that it appeals to their criteria. Yeah. Um, the last thing we got was from South Wairarapa District Council to run these uh, four gigs in Featherston.
0: Oh, cool. Uh, yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, so I drove over to their council office in Martinborough on a Monday night. Because I knew no one else was going to make the effort. Cause I was right. Like, well, you know, take the time and come out, meet them in person, and, and chat to their committee. Yeah. And there's only me and one other person applying. And I was like,
0: hey, oh, wow. hey what's going on like, LA? You're
1: <laughs> doing all this stuff. Yeah. I'm going to do great shows. I love the people of Featherston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they've been really supportive. And the Featherston show, for the first one went really well. And the next one was booked in with Chris, you know, Chris Parker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. We I'm down.
0: Oh, what I'm gonna do
1: after this, I just got to book him some accommodation. I've got his flights. Oh my gosh! A kind of He's a funny guy. Really nice guy. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that's interesting because um, I feel like comedy nowadays, like Chris Parker, I think I've seen his face on things like Instagram, you know, mm. and like doing videos and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, that's like, I don't suppose you deal with any like you don't look at social media or like use it in any kind of way, like yourself as a comic.
1: Nah, necessarily on Twitter Twitter's not my big one I love just just tapping anything out on Twitter mm-hmm. just any sort of joke or idea or thought whatever or just bantering with my mates online on, yeah. on Twitter so Twitter's my one that, that I just love
0: because mm. it's
1: very suitable for comedians because it's short, concise uh, punchy you've got to get your idea or your story across really really um, quickly and it's a great way of remembering stuff Like I have something funny happen I'll be like oh, I can't believe this thing happened tweet it out and then remember oh I
0: something something about
1: owls what was it and uh yeah i'll google owls on my twitter and like the story will come up oh that's what it was and then i'll try to take that story and turn it into a bit for stage
0: right yeah so it's like a little diary a little digital diary
1: yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. but it goes back it's gone back for years i've been doing it for years without realizing it and now i'm like oh yeah there was that funny thing that happened yeah yeah nice yeah so twitter's like the one thing i get to do instagram is just I, i just take photos of my my dinner I just yeah got, i just got a kettle of barbecue uh, like a like a weber charcoal barbecue it's right behind you
0: oh my god Up there. oh my um, god
1: yeah yeah it's like father very day. pretty it's, it's shiny it's real pretty. so yeah, instagram i like take pictures of my food facebook is for interacting with comedians and the facebook group mm-hmm. and then twitter is just for venturing with my mates but uh, <laughs> uh tiktok no, no,
0: too much yeah. yeah chris parker funny yeah he's very good good sort yeah so keeping yourself surviving financially is pretty much just through hat you also and like the producing gigs that you do as well do you still do some some gigs yourself
1: yeah yeah perform yes to perform all the time mm-hmm. so um might be sing for rob harris for, uh, in a couple of weeks time seeing mm-hmm. for neil's comedy school graduation show next week gotcha I'm doing a doing a spot in a variety show for um Laser Kiwi, the oh, circus yeah. Group. They're doing a variety show at Oaha on the twenty first of November. So yeah, I'm still, still sort of gigging pretty pretty regularly.
0: Mm-hmm. mm And right at the beginning of this year, there mm. was the fringe festival and then COVID happened. Yeah. But then there were still like the awards. People were like, We worked, really hard. we wanna go to do the awards. And so the awards still happened, but it happened digitally. Mm-hmm. And you were One of the hosts. I was hosting it. Yeah, yeah. You were looking at me so blankly, like, where is she going with this? I was trying to remember, and I was like,
1: yes, we did that because we did that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. On Yeah, yeah. yeah, Yeah, At
0: Towerheart with um Pam Pam Hancock Uh, from from Hancock. Yeah, from Bulls. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. yeah. I love Pam. Um, yeah. I just wanted. I was wanting to ask you about how that felt hosting something where you had probably like. Two or three people in the audience, yeah. and they were like people that were presenting a specific award. But it was mostly just like you talking to the camera, and then have, yeah. trying to have some banter with Pam. Yeah, that um, was unusual,
1: but there, there was still people in the room, uh, even if it was like uh, ten people all spaced out. Yeah, it was that was sort of still okay. Right, and there, there was still like a camera person, and a person on tech. So it wasn't like what if what I would find hard is uh, like radio stuff it was is quite. Difficult. Mm-hmm. So I've done like the panel for like Radio right New Zealand, and you're just in a booth in Wellington, mm. and you're just listening to two Aucklanders on your on your ear on your on your headphones, right? And that's really hard and you can't I can't pick up any social any um like uh, visual clues mm. on when it's my turn to talk mm. or with the person or you people are even listening to me? Mm-hmm. And the audience you, can, you you can't hear the audience until you, you get the comments back on the Facebook, and
0: the right? It's not very nice. So Ooh. yeah, that radio stuff was quite. I think radio stuff
1: is very like, i can't do it mm-hmm. yeah well, i don't find it very hard yeah but yeah the online thing was like yeah that was okay even shooting the ad the fact it was like a funny ad you still had people in the room you still had a yeah. director and cameraman and crew mm-hmm. so you could tell like if you're doing something quite funny they would they would be responding and you're like oh yeah, it's okay it's yeah
0: okay. it's all good. Yeah. yeah uh you've been in a couple of short films Maybe, <laughs> I think so. ahead. Yeah, 2006, a piece of cake, and 2010, 101 uh. dates. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, you dabbled a little bit in the that's acting funny. world. Oh,
1: yeah, I forget about the acting stuff because um, 101 dates was by Chaz Harris and um, Sarah Harper, and she was a comedian. Actually.
0: Oh, I know Sarah Harper. Oh, right, she's yeah. a good sort. Yeah, she is a good sort. We
1: um, started out at a similar similar time. Yeah, she did the World Comedy Quest in two thousand and nine. and Chase Harris, uh, he wrote a um, it's a children's story. Look, I can't remember, but he's a, he's a he's a nice guy too. And so yeah, I took part of that. And then I've also done yeah, various. I was in one, and that was actually in the film festival. That I didn't realise was going to be in the film festival. It was like a short film for um um some other guys. Do you know white man behind a desk? Yep. Yeah. Yes, so one of the writers on that wrote a, um... Was it Finian Yes, Kepin?
0: yes, that's yep. right. What, what's
1: his name? Finian? Finian? Fin.
0: Fin? Fin. Yeah,
1: yes. Yeah. It was it Finn? Well, uh, Finn.
0: <laughs> yeah. Finn and Robbie. Yes, um, yeah. yeah. So
1: this was Finn and Bevan Lickhorn. Uh, so I've done that. And, oh, I've been on the past year three series of Rounds and Paranormal as well, which was good fun.
0: Oh, um, true!
1: Yeah, yes, that was with uh um, Paul Yates is the, the director, producer, and he just lives in the hut.
0: And right.
1: Jermaine Clement is just like he was just, he was just the music comedy, so everybody knows everybody. Yeah. So I used to go and watch Fire the Concords back at San Fran, They're Indigo, with like 30, 40 people mm-hmm. back in the day. i am mm-hmm. uh, MC for them too, once, like many years ago. We had a musical comedy night at Fringe Bar on a Monday and we didn't announce that they were on but we got out and the place just sold out like no time at all yeah but yeah Wellington Paranormal was really cool
0: um what, we did, what did you play on Wellington Paranormal? in
1: the first series I was a there was a, there was a scene in a haunted house and I was like oh. a 1970s yes um uh, a disco guy. You were uh, Okay, you were just one of the ghosts. Yeah, I had a massive afro week, so you probably wouldn't have been able to. Read
0: <gasps> I'm going to go back. Could you go back and have a look? Yeah, I'm going to yeah. go back and have a look. And I love then... that episode. It's one of my favourites. <laughs> yeah.
1: And then in the second one, I was a mall manager who had accidentally hired, instead of a Christmas Santa, I hired a Christmas Satan by mistake. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, and so that was me uh, playing the mall manager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then the third uh,
0: series didn't come out yet. Ah, uh, keep that one yeah, secret. secret yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep your eyes peeled, though, people. Yeah, yeah. So that was good fun. How do you get into the, like that? That all that kind of stuff? Is it just like you know people, and they're like, we need like, oh, someone kind of funny. Oh, like drone. Oh my God, that's my computer. Sorry.
1: Um. Yeah, I think so. I've never really actively sorted out, but it just mm-hmm. sort of comes. it just keeps happening. It just keeps
0: happening,
1: <laughs> and I think it's a big part of it, of that being lucky because you just keep turning up mm. so people will just keep seeing me at gigs i'll be running various gigs or the same on stage and you just get stuck in people's heads they go oh yeah i'm sure. mm. like that when i'm booking X. will be like oh yeah i've seen that person recently mm. yeah they would be great actually mm. yeah i better get in touch with them mm. so it's it's just people that i've seen in the past three or four months mm-hmm. once it, once it's gone past four months you've gone you've slipped my mind yeah um but as long as you're still present every three four months i'm like oh yeah i should get that person yeah yeah Mm. Yeah, it's a good good reminder
0: yeah Mm. that's awesome um that was my computer telling me that my battery is running low but that's fine because i feel like we've covered pretty much everything um we'll finish quickly with a couple um very quick i'm gonna give you like 10 seconds um to answer. Um so first one, what do you think Wellington does well at in terms of supporting the arts? Uh,
1: so this I'll give you... this, yeah, it's a good small sort of communities. I, I quite well. Like i hang out with, with poets, um, the improv people, uh, comedians and they, they they've all got really nice little networks. Bats is great too. Bets is a great location.
0: Nice. Mm. That's good job. Um, and then what do you think Wellington could improve on or how would Wellington support you more in like the comedy sphere
1: oh i need to diversify what humorous arts does into possibly some more sort of commercial areas mm-hmm. i'm thinking advertising i'm thinking marketing i'm thinking customer service training that's something that's an action that i need to be taking
0: sure okay mm. yeah as opposed to wellington city yeah yeah cool final question where do you feel like the new zealand arts is heading also, in 10 seconds. <laughs> I
1: don't know. And I've never been one to sort of try to impose a vision on something. I'm mm-hmm. more like, look, at who is here? How can we support the people that are here? What are the steps that we need to take to support the artists that we've got currently? And then as they grow, so the vision will change, so the organization will change, so things need to change to match the, the community first.
0: Mm. Yeah, awesome. I think that's really great well thank you for doing those last three questions in 30 seconds um yeah thanks for having me over today Um, this morning um yeah looking forward to seeing more comedy yeah cool thank you jerome for your constant enthusiasm and work in the wellington comedy space upcoming shows jerome is in Idiom, a variety show at Te Awaha on Saturday the 21st of November hosted by the circus trio Laser Kiwi. Tickets from eventbrite.co.nz. The Menagerie, a variety show at the Opera House, Saturday the 13th of February 2021. Wahey with host Susie Ferguson from RNZ's Morning Report. Some shows that Jerome is producing. The Wellington Comedy Club, Thursday the 22nd of October at San Fran with Jeremy Elwood and Li'i Alai Moana. Saturday Laughs, Saturday the 31st of October at Mayfair Cafe, Upper Hutt with Eli Mathewson. Raw Meet Monday, open mic comedy, 8pm every Monday at the Fringe Bar. So if you were really looking for something to do tonight, you could go tonight. Links to all of those events in our show notes, or you can find them on eventfinder.co.nz. If you want to follow Jerome on the socials, he's got a Twitter, at Jerome Chandra, and a Facebook, Jerome Chandra Harson Comedy. Links to both of those in our show notes. Alive Tonight is a hopeful production created by me, Emily Hope, with the help of Anastasia Mataney roberts Our original music is by Liam Reed. Our cover art is by Cosmo Bones. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Alive Tonight NZ. Hit subscribe or follow us on your favourite podcast platform. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review as this helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. Kia ora. Noho ora mai.